welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I'll start with, uh, I'll start with one that uh, was emailed to me. Um, we, uh, Kay and I have covered this in, in other uh, Q&As, and so I would, I would reference you guys to, to other Q&As uh, because sometimes, uh, because of the dynamic of the world, the same question gets asked, uh, the same question, but under different contexts, get contexts gets asked, that was funky, gets asked uh, in different ways. And so this one is basically about end times. Um, And it was, uh, they would appreciate knowing our view of the end times. Uh, Do you see a pre-trib rapture in the Word of God? They said, we do not, but do not divide over the doctrine. That's That's a mature stance. While we see a rapture in the Word of God, it is our understanding that this does not occur until Jesus returns to set up his kingdom when he parts the sky and arrives to rule in Jerusalem, the rapture occurring. Just prior to this, prior to the pouring out of his wrath, at near the end of the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Do you believe it is the role of the church... To ready, so it's kind of a two-part. Do you believe it's the role of the church to ready the world for Jesus' return, often called dominion theology? If you're not hip to that language, it's a it's kind of common uh, theological language. Where we, the church, hold sway over the kingdoms of this world to turn them back to submit to the will of God. Or do you see the scriptures teaching that the world system will go from bad to worse before we are delivered by our Savior at the end of the age. While we both hold very strongly to being salt and light in this world, doing all in our sphere of influence to be his ambassadors, we struggle to see how the church is called to dominate the world system that is destined to become the end days Babylonian system. Hoping you could somehow address this, bring clarity to us, and we are simply and always wanting to represent Jesus faithfully until he comes. So always strive to maintain a teachable heart. Awesome. Um, So it's a two-part. So what's my view of the end time? Uh, We're in it. Uh, The second part is what's the role of the church? Uh, Not that long ago, I just visited the Sterling Grace Group. Wherever Petros is, they might be downstairs. Oh, yep, they're downstairs. Uh, so we have, uh, those of you that don't know, we have grace groups uh, all over the region. Five, six, how many do we have? I don't know. We have multiple grace groups um, all over the region that you can join, which is our small groups, our midweek, whatever you want to say. And I try to visit all of the grace groups uh, at least once a year. I, I want to get better and see them twice a year. Um, when we went or when I went to the Sterling one, that was one of the things that I did, was I went through Matthew chapter 24. So I would encourage all of you that are, that are end times concerned 
to read Matthew chapter 24. This is the Lord talking about these exact things. These were the questions that the disciples asked him. They asked him three specific questions at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. What are the signs of the end times? Uh, What is going to be the signs of your coming? And, you know, what are we supposed to be doing? So Jesus answered all those questions during the course of Matthew chapter 24. Now, I will say this. The best version I've ever read, Matthew chapter 24, is in the Passion Translation. And I know some people are freaked out by, uh, by contemporary Bible translations, but whatever, get over it. Um, the Passion, the reason I like the Passion is because there's two specific subsects in that chapter that the Passion actually translates correctly, which it looks backwards to the way like the King James or the New King James translate it. And I, I don't, I'm not going to go through all that, because if I do, we're going to be here a while. But I will say this. Um, first off, uh, can you put up, hey kid, uh, please, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and, and put that in the Passion, will you please? Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, I think. We'll see if I'm right. And... Uh, So first off, let me say this. End times is what we're in. We're not going into the end times. There isn't going to be some break and then we're going to be in the end times. We're in the end times. I can show you dozens of scriptures that that verify what I just said. A, A lot of people don't really believe it. I can show you in the Bible that it actually says that, and people are like, yeah, but what about the end of the end of the end of the end? They just keep adding ends to it because they're like, we're in the end times. Yeah, but what about the end of the end times? Well, can you find me a verse that says that there's the end of the end of the end times? No. We are in the end times. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years. Jesus came, am I right? Yep. Uh, at last, the fulfillment of the age has come. This is Jesus. If anybody should know, he should know. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. What is the fulfillment of the age? Jesus. 4,000 years of human history were pointing towards Jesus. 2,000 years of post-cross Christianity is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's the end times. He's the beginning of times. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. It's Jesus. Everything is Jesus. And if your theology somehow spreads out from there, then it's going to be diluted and it's not going to be Christ-based. Everything in heaven is Christ-based, so you might want to go ahead and get on board with what heaven is doing. All of heaven stares at Jesus. They are entrapped by His grace, His love, and His goodness incessantly, non-stop. If you read in, I think it's actually in Revelation chapter 12, where it says that there's 12 uh, elders that go around the throne crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they circle the throne one time, they hit their face because they can't take it. They see something new and something beautiful about Jesus and they throw their crowns at His feet. This happens nonstop throughout the course of all of history for billions, trillions, quadrillions of years. These elders will be roaming around the throne looking at Jesus and they see something new every single time. And it's so powerful. It's so wonderful. It's so amazing that they hit their face and worship Him. 
And how many people give a rip about Jesus on this planet? There's people in this church that, whatever, Jesus, church, Christianity, blah, blah, blah. Get me back to life. And I'm not picking up, but it's because you've never actually seen how beautiful he is. And a lot of this end times theology, which is called eschatology, a lot of this eschatology really honestly revolves around people who think that they got the cool thing that nobody else has ever figured out so they can write a book and make a million bucks. You write an end times book, you'll be rich. It doesn't even have to be true. You don't have to use the Bible. Right? I mean, you can, you can write movies called Left Behind based on general biblical stuff. You can make a whole string of them and be a millionaire. And, and I'm not picking on whoever did the, the movies. I, I, I've never seen any of them. But the point is, that's how attracted to the end times Christianity is, which gets us off the focus of you're in the end time today. It is right now. It is here. It is in your face. His name is Jesus. This is so important. Because if you get this skewed, then everything else will get skewed. Now, are there things that are going to happen? Yes. Are there things that are going to change? Yes. Are there going to be rise and falls of, of different principalities and powers and, and, and human leaders and all that kind of stuff? Yes. It's been that way for 2,000 years. Are we getting close to the end? Yeah. That's actually what Peter said in Second Peter 2,000 years ago. We're getting close. It's like this close. Paul said the same thing. He's like, oh, it, it, is, it is getting to the end. Come, Lord Jesus, come. John said the same thing in Revelation. So they, they were really anticipating the Lord to show up any moment 2,000 years ago. So if they were anticipating it 2,000 years ago and they wrote the entire New Testament, I'm anticipating it. He could bust through here today, right now, and we could all put on our happy dance and get after it. Because there are some tyrants out there that we are going to take the sharp two-edged sword in our mouth and go slice and dice. (laughs) Just the imagery is, get those tyrants. Um, But I... There's basically two schools of thought, which is, um, that kind of goes along the dominion theology, which is, what are we supposed to be doing? Are we supposed to be going throughout the whole world, trying to get the whole world to become the image of what God wants, um, the the final, uh, eternal vision to be, which is a, a world recreated in God's image, uh, sin-free, misery-free, tear-free, Jesus on his throne, and everything working the way God wants it to work. That's kind of one theology, dominion theology. And then the other theology is that it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and then one day Jesus is going to come and, and flush the toilet and make everything go away and, and burn the earth uh, into ash and then rebuild everything out of ash. Perfect. Uh, first of all, so B is demonic. And the reason I say that is because if you believe that the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and then Jesus is going to come rescue all of us sorry saints who can't do nothing about the world getting worse and worse because the devil's way stronger than us, the church. <sighs> yep. Uh, 
then by default, in faith, you have to actually be rooting for the devil to get her done. Hey, devil, make the world worse and worse and worse. I'll help you because the more worse it gets, the quicker Jesus comes back and rescues us. That is terrible. Terrible theology. And and the whole rescue poor little Christian us from the stronghold of Satan on the earth. Please come and rapture us and rescue us out of here. And that's one of the reasons I like Matthew chapter 24. There, there has been raptures in the past. And most people are unaware of this. There was a flood. Does anybody remember the flood? Who left the planet? Who stayed? All the bad people left in the flood. And the good people stayed because God protected them. And they were safe in a boat, which is a type and shadow of Christ. And the waters are a type and shadow of God's wrath. So if you believe in a rapture, and you believe that the Christians go and the bad people get the earth, then you believe in an anti-rapture. That'll mess with you. What about the Exodus? What happened? The good people went out of slavery. God parted the waters of wrath. They walked to the other side into the promised land, the new birth. And when the bad people tried to come and mess with the people in the new birth, what did God do to them? That's right. They put them at the bottom of the ocean. The horse and rider has fallen to the sea. That's the rapture of the Exodus. It, Jesus literally said in the end of times, it's going to be like the days of Noah. What's the days of Noah? There's going to be a bunch of wrath on the people that are not gods, and there's going to be a bunch of protection for the people that are gods. So if you are gods, then you should be really excited every single day that goes by because it's one day closer to the church getting stronger, church getting healthier, the ecclesia ruling and reigning on this earth as God told us to do. And so, having said that, you probably say, oh, well, Steve believes in dominion theology. Nope. I don't. I don't believe that that it's supposed to come down to a natural governmental system that Jesus is going to make a bunch of Christian senators and legislators or prime ministers or whatever, and we're going to have a natural ruling kingdom with natural ruling people who are ruling underneath Christ, which is kind of what dominion theology leans towards. I don't believe that. I believe that he is going to make all things new as we make all things new. The kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. Praise Jesus, because I know some of you people. (laughs) You don't get a million people on your prayer list and God's like, oh, I'm outnumbered. They got a million on their prayer list. I guess I better give them what they want. No. The kingdom of heaven is a theocracy. God's in charge. He's completely in charge. He rules and he reigns. And we agree with him because everything he rules and reigns is righteous, right, and beneficial. That's why theology, or a theocracy is way better than a democracy. So, in that, in the time when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom in the natural on the earth, there is going to be a transition. And Jesus is going to split the sky, and you're not going to miss it, because I've actually heard this, I've read the books of the people that say, well, we missed, um, we missed the rapture, we missed Jesus' return. The scriptures say clearly, there will be nobody on earth that misses it. 
So if you are unaware of Jesus' second return, then either the Bible's wrong or some of the theology is wrong. And again, I don't, I don't pick bones with anybody that believes any of these things. Because there is a lot of obscurity in the scriptures. I get all that, which is why this question comes up a lot. So I, I'm a very simple guy. You guys know I'm super, super simple. Here's my simple eschatology and theology as it relates to today and tomorrow. Jesus told us, and when we're praying, communicating with God, our Father, I taught a whole series on prayer. It was like 19 messages long that was based on Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, who art in heaven, your name is to be hallowed, revered. Holy, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth. As, so he told us exactly what that looks like, as it's being done in heaven. So the spiritual type and shadow is what the natural is supposed to be. So until the earth looks like heaven, that prayer goes unanswered. If you've ever prayed it. Now, a lot of people pray that prayer and they don't actually know what they're praying. They just say it because you're supposed to quote it at funerals. It actually means something. We're supposed to be making this earth look like heaven. It says in Romans chapter 8, it says, All of creation literally is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to set them free. Creation itself is groaning. You want to know what an earthquake is? You want to know what a volcano is? You want to know what tsunamis are? It's literally creation groaning, waiting for the people of God to remake this world the way that God told us to remake it. Jesus came and established the spiritual part of the kingdom when he came. That's why he said, the time has ended. Now, we're supposed to take that spiritual truth that he gave and make it become natural all over the earth. That is my eschatology. That is my uh, end times theology. That is my timeline. I don't honestly believe that there's supposed to be three and a half years and three and a half years and all that kind of stuff because I believe that the, there's three different uh, deviations in the book of uh, Revelations, and I'm not going to get into this at all. I'm just going to say this, nuke you, and then move on. But there's vials, there's seals, and there's trumpets. And if you look closely at the vials and the seals and the trumpets, it's the same exact thing happening for three different groups of people. The, the vials, when they're poured out, it's always wrath and judgment and misery. So that's what's happening to the people at the exact same time, that when the trumpet's being blown and great things are happening for the people of God. Which is true. When good things happen to God's people, bad things happen to the people serving the devil. I mean, it's not, that's not very difficult theology. So I actually believe that the, the seals, the vials, and the, uh, the trumpets are all the exact same time frame being played out for three different groups of people that we're getting annotation on. And I, I'm not gonna go into all that. But the, the, the bottom line for me is, is we are supposed to be doing what Jesus came down here to do. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. We're supposed to be making people understand that the king is the king, and we should be bowing our knees to his supremacy. We're supposed to be baptizing people in water, baptizing people in the Holy Spirit, baptizing people into the church, 
and, and changing hearts and minds that is going to give people prosperous souls, that is going to embrace what the reality of what God created us to embrace as His children. And then we are going to live in divine health, divine prosperity, have great marriages, have awesome kids, even our dogs are healed, like all the good stuff that God wants. God is good. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. I don't. I hate to have to say that all the time, but I can't tell you how many people say bad things happen to them because God did it. You're worshiping the wrong God. God's a good God. If it's good, it's God. It's just that simple. James told us that. James is the first letter the first book, letter, whatever you want to say, epistle of the entire New Testament. And the first chapter of the first letter of the first book of the New Testament, James has to come out and say, hey, God is good. And He's the Father of lights and everything good comes down from Him. If it ain't from Him and it ain't good, then it's bad. Like even back then, first church, they had to say, hey, God's good and good stuff comes from God. The devil's a bad devil and bad stuff comes from the devil. It's simple theology. So if, if the world gets worse and worse and worse, then that would be anti-Christ. We're not going to root for anti-Christ. We're going to root pro-Christ. Amen? And I know that that was, uh, that was a very uh, kind of fly-by answer to a really in-depth question. Um, but again, I went into a lot more of this uh, in-depth in some other Q&As. And so... Uh, you can go back and listen to some other Q&As where he talked about end time events. Um, and if you're in a grace group and I come to your grace group, maybe I'll do Matthew chapter 24 in the Passion. Maybe not. You want to add something? Uh, I knew your answer was going to be uh, more informative than mine. That sounds bad. I probably shouldn't have said that. But um, the question just made me think about how important it is, and Steve illustrated this so well, how important it is to look at uh, the end times uh, through the lens of the entire Word of God. How you've got to find that balance. You've got to filter everything you read through the entirety of the Word. And, you know, that's why Steve can answer these questions so well. It's because he has studied the Word. He knows the Old Testament. He knows the New Testament. He knows how to balance them out. He knows how to look through the lens of the end times through the Word of God and how important that is for us to do that. And this might sound bad, but sometimes being okay with not knowing right now because we have to build revelation upon revelation. You can't, you can't get to Freeport without traveling the road to get there. And there's places that we need to have a foundational truth in, and we build upon that, and we build upon that to get the revelation. And so sometimes if we don't know, it's just that, you know, there's a revelation that we need to understand first. And a lot of times it's not necessarily in the scriptures about end times that we need the revelation to understand end times. Right? There's other, those are other places in the scripture that gives us revelation about what's going to happen. And so that's why it's so important that we understand the whole word of God and we don't just focus on one thing and think if I study this and just this one thing, I'm going to have it all figured out. You have to understand the whole word of God and understand everything in the word of God. Um, you can't just focus on one thing and think you're going to get it. Um, and so I just super appreciate that our pastor has that balance. 
that he looks at everything through the lens of the word of God and the balance of the whole and not focusing on this one thing and only um, getting revelation based upon the scriptures that talk about that one thing when it's just the kingdom is so intertwined and layered and intricately, I can't even use the words. It's so um, amazing. And you just can't put words to it. Um, yeah, uh, that's a really good answer. Uh, there's a lot of people that think the second half of the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, uh, a couple of chapters in First Thessalonians, and the book of Revelation is like, all that is end time. That's Bible. In fact, the end time book that everybody talks about, the book of Revelation, you, you know what the book of Revelation is? <laughs> Revelation. Right. Of what? Jesus. Jesus. Right. You know how many people read the book of Revelation trying to get end times? And they miss the fact that the book of Revelation was... Revelation, not S. There's no S on it. Revelation. The revelation of Jesus. I have, I have seen so many people talk about end times out of the book of Revelation, and they don't even bring up Jesus. They're talking about bugs, that giant bugs that sting, and, and locusts, and like, you, you missed the whole point. It's just Jesus. If you're reading Revelation, you're not getting Jesus out of it, you need to read it again. Amen. Uh, so anyway, there, there's no like end times book chapter, whatever, letter in the script. There is all of the Bible, and it has all the different pieces that we need. Amen. Uh, all right, well, have to move on. Chris? Good morning, beloved. He, Holy cow. He wants to know how I can fix him. <laughs> A little bit? I've been trying. Um... This morning I got my heart wrecked by a photo from my wife and I. Uh, I shared it with you briefly. As kids, being married with kids right off the bat. And uh, as we're getting closer to a beautiful weekend of the Marriage Covenant weekend, and um, we're also getting closer to being empty nesters. And, uh whew. So I'm just trying to understand and maybe grow into how to love her the best of my ability as empty nesters in, the, in this mindset of the kingdom. Because it's all new to us as well. Because um, a lot of her focus has been kids. And so it's going to be a little bit more focus of me, which is awesome. So then I can not just change. You know, I had to laugh in that to get my tears out of the way. He is downstairs listening, and I'm glad for that. So my question is, and what kind of things do you guys do as well? Because you're empty nesters now too. And so something that I can do, and that any of us in here that are about to be in that same boat, maybe in many years down the road, or just a few, or have been already, that we can... Um, honor each other in a mindset of the kingdom. Uh, I'm going to let my I'm going to let my wife start cuz she's way better at being married than I am. 
Steve. Yeah, that's not true. I brought Kate. <laughs> she can't fix you. Oh, my goodness. What did I just get into? Um, well, honestly, I don't, I don't know. Maybe Steve's got a different perspective than me. But I'm not sure how much it really changed for us uh, when our kids moved out. Now, granted, you know, they moved out not too soon after high school, so it was our schedules were so much freer because, you know, kids in sports, it, it takes up some of your time. Um, but it was just a season in their life where we wanted to be there and support them and, and cheer for them and uh, it was a great way to be in the community. So I actually really enjoyed that season of our life. Uh, but we, I don't know, I just feel like we did not have that much of a transition to make, that much of a struggle going from our, it was, you know, getting used to my house being way quieter. It's amazing how much noise children can make. Uh, but it was it was re- a really easy transition for us. Um, and, and I don't know if it was something that we just, a lifestyle that we had before our kids moved out. And yeah. so it was just, we just continued on as it has always been. Uh, we, one of the, we, we did this a lot different than we see nearly anybody else do family. Uh, we did it based on scripture. Like the kids are not the point. And you can look around society right now and all the kids think that they're the point or they want to be the point. That's why they scream incessantly for attention, demand attention, do stupid stuff to get attention um, because they're supposed to be the point. Society tells them that they're the point. We have trained multiple generations now to be the most self-centered, self-absorbed people that the world has ever seen. And uh, we didn't, we just rejected it. Our kids were not the point. Kay and I were in a covenant. The kids came along as bonus or extra. Um, (laughs) Killing cows, baby. Uh, the, the, the kids were not the point. Now, if you ask Hannah and Gunner, were they loved? Were they appreciated? Were they valued? Of course. I mean, Gunner was here last night. Hannah's over there now. They love us. We love them. They love Jesus. They, they love the church. They're healthy kids. They're, they're great. It didn't bother them that mom and dad loved each other more than they loved them. It actually showed them um, a heritage. I gave my children a heritage that few other, or Kay and I, I guess, Kay and I gave our kids a heritage that few, very, very, very few kids ever get an opportunity to have. They seen a daddy and a mommy who loved each other with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength for all their lives and were committed to that while they were committed to God. And until our kids have that, they'll never, it won't be right. 
in their life because that's what they've seen. They've seen the real. Anything else that they have after this is going to be plastic. And so for us, uh, our kids knew if we were at the thing, if we were at the, the volleyball game or Gunner's football game or whatever, awesome, we're rooting for them, we're on board with them. If they did something wrong, we'd tell them. If they did something right, we'd tell them. We didn't lavish them with irreverent or, or plastic platitudes and made them feel good just because they were our kids or something. No, if they did stupid stuff, we told them it was stupid stuff. If they did good stuff, we applauded them for doing good stuff. They made right choices. We, we encouraged them to continue to make right choices. If they made bad choices, we fussed at them. They, um, they actually had parents, like one time, some of you might even remember this. We were, and this was a long time ago, so be gentle. <laughs> but we were downstairs doing something, and I was in the, uh, in the boiler room, messing with something, and Gunner was out in the, in the main, uh, kids church area. And doing something, and I heard him across the room pop off at Kay. Hannah remembers this. She she remembers when Gunner gets in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I heard him pop off at Kay, and I know what he probably was thinking. Like I could kind of pop off to mom, you know, kind of in front of my church friends and whatever. And he didn't know Dad was three feet away in another room. And so I came out the room. And I would like to twist his head off. I blasted him publicly. You ever talk to my wife, my wife, like that again, I will bust you in half. And he got it. And, and it was just an, it was an asterisk moment for Gunner. That's not how he is. He's not some disrespectful kid. He's, he's very respectful. He, he, he's incredibly respectful to both of us. It was just a moment. It was just a thing. But he learned in that this is my wife. If anybody has any ill intention towards your kids, this is my wife. If you want to see the wrath of Steve Gazel, and see how willing I am to fight to the death for anything. Do something against my wife. I don't care if you're my kid. This is my wife. We have a covenant that we have committed together in blood of Jesus Christ to the Father. Kids, they just showed up. I don't even know how they got here. Kay just told me one day she was pregnant. I called the milkman, the mailman. None of them knew anything about it. Whatever. <laughs> it, we, our goal in parenting, from the very first we committed together, our goal in parenting was to get our children to the Father as quickly and efficiently as we possibly could. That's our goal. It wasn't our goal to make our kids love us for the rest of our lives. It was never, ever our goal for our kids to be our friends. Dear Jesus, one of the most broken things in our culture ever is where parents want their kids to be their friends. Your your kids don't need friends. They got plenty of friends, and they're all stupid. They need parents so they know that their friends are stupid. Amen. And... They, and we don't have dads and moms anymore. We don't have fathers and mothers that teach the things that are supposed to be taught. I'm going to read to you a couple of verses. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. 
but speak you the things which become sound doctrine. So you want to know what sound doctrine is? You know, I very seldom ever have anybody argue uh, with these kind of doctrinal things. And here's uh, Paul saying to his son in the faith, Titus, this is sound doctrine. He's not talking about end times. He's not talking about all that, you know, the healing and prosperity and all that kind of stuff. What does he talk about? What does he reference as sound doctrine? That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. If, if men, if you're not that, then you have not tapped into the grace of God that's already in you. This is in you. He wouldn't ask you to be something that you couldn't be. He put the power, the grace, the ability for you to be this. If you're not being it, it's because you're being rebellious. Verse 3. The aged women, and aged doesn't mean old, it means mature. You can, I know 20 year old women that are more mature than 60 year old women. Yep. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers, <laughs> not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women, aged women, teaching the young woman, my daughter. Notice how it doesn't say kids, children. Because we're all in the same generation. God, doesn't, God the Father doesn't have grandkids. That's our daughter in the natural, but she's the Father's daughter. And if I don't treat her as the Father's daughter, then I have taken away her identity. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. You know, women, you can be taught to love your husbands. Well, I thought love was just something that fell on you like ripe cherries off a tree. It was just a feeling that struck you like lightning. No, you're stupid. You need to stop watching movies. It don't work that way. Love is a decision. Love's not a feeling. Dear Lord, that's why it's so messed up. People say, oh, I got into adultery. Why? Well, I just had this feeling. <laughs> well, come to me the next time you have that feeling. I'll give you another feeling. <laughs> and then your first feeling will go away. It's amazing how that works. Magical. To love their husbands, to love their children. There is probably, if I asked you to raise your hands, I'll guarantee I won't get 5% of the women in this church. If I said, raise your hand, if your mother taught you how to grow up to be a woman. So, you know what we have? Women who were never taught to be women. So, you know what they had to learn? Whatever they seen on TV. This is why they wear yoga pants and low-cut shirts. Because on TV, the way you get a man is by showing him all the merchandise. And then you get mad when all he wants is to buy your merchandise. It, it, I, it is one of those things that's befuddled me nearly all my life. 
You advertise your parts, and then you get mad because the guy's attracted to your parts. Well, I want him to love my heart. Then show him your heart and hide your parts. <laughs> Thank you for that one female amen. <laughs> to love their children. We're supposed to be taught by aged women how to love our children. You think this comes natural? You know what comes natural? Kill your children. At least for me. Maybe not her. She talked me out of it a couple times. No, that's not loving. (laughs) Hannah, don't laugh. To be discreet. Any any women in here had an aged woman tell them how to live a discreet life? This word is like a joke. You walk up to a woman today and say, you know you should be discreet? (laughs) You're stupid. You're old-fashioned and conservative. Or you're biblical. Chase. We have a generation who don't even know what that word means. How about this one? Keepers at home. Yeah, that right in the face of the woman's livers. Well, no, i got to go out and have me a job and a career and do all that. Okay, well then who's going to keep the home? Well, the maid. So your kids are going to be raised by someone that you pay, who obviously loves them and cares about their future as much as you do, Mom. Yep, one amen. Keepers at home. Good. You need to be taught to be good. (laughs) I know a bunch of you girls. (laughs) Obedient to your own husbands. (laughs) Is it up there? (laughs) That's not in the Bible, you liar. I offered everyone in here a Bible. I didn't make this up. (laughs) Obedient to your own husbands. (laughs) And for all the guys that are like, hey, hey. You remember how this started? Verses 1 and 2 was the guys being chastised by the word of God on how to be men. So if you want your women to honor, to value, and to be obedient to you, you better be a man of God. Because some of y'all don't deserve anything from your women. In fact, what your women are giving you right now, some of the men in this room, is absolutely the grace of God. And you should be happy with any little tidbit you get. Obedient to your own husbands. Own husbands. Not all women to all men. That's called sexism. And it's not godly. That the word of God be not blasphemed. That's the reason. The reason that men of God are supposed to be men of God and women of God are supposed to be women of God is because any other version blasphemes the word of God. Why do you think the enemy is so hell-bent on taking men and transitioning them into women, transgendering Uh, weird sexual dysfunction and taking women and making them men. You know, it's shocking to me that society is so purposeful. Purposeful. It's on purpose telling men to become women while they tell women to become men. You know, you'd think they'd pick one. Like, what's the better sex? 
Women. Okay, well, everybody be like a woman. But no, they're actually telling the women to be men, and they're telling the men to be women. And you think your kids, the only way your kids are going to grow up and know that that's wrong, and that it blasphemes the word of God, is for them to see a daddy who's a man, and a mommy who's a woman. As the way that God defines it. The ga- the ga- <laughs> If you don't say amen, nobody will know. <laughs> the... the The women in today's society are taught that if they will take their husband's testicles and put them in their purse and carry them around, then that's how they're going to be strong women. And the men learn in order to not, in order to every once in a while get their testicles back for a trial run, they just be obedient to the women and do whatever they're told to do. And they're both broken. And it's not right. But guess what our kids are going to learn? I've had people actually come up to me in the church and say, uh, when I was young, a, a man came up to me one time and said, when I was young, I, I wanted to be a woman. I wanted to be a girl. I honestly wanted to be a girl. And I was, I was shocked because I would have never guessed it from this guy. And... Uh, and I said, what was that about? He said, because my dad left and we were like, I basically had no real dad. And my mom was a very strong, very successful, very powerful woman. And so I learned that if I wanted to be strong, successful, and powerful, that I had to be a woman. So what happened to him? Fatherlessness. So having said all this, I want you to note that there's very little in here, if anything, about kids. If you're a man of God and a husband, a father, and you're living your life the way that God has orchestrated for you to live, and you're in a covenant marriage, not a contractual marriage like 90% of the world and 90% of the church, but a covenant marriage, with a woman of God who is a wife and a mother and you're doing this right way keeping the father centered then the kid part is going to be a natural progression of whatever comes comes when they're little you got to deal with the little stuff when they're middle you got to deal with the middle stuff when they're teenagers you got to deal with the teenager stuff and then hopefully you get the entire package filled with all the parts that need to be filled with and hopefully at 18 they're super healthy and good and they're moving out on their own and they're doing life and they're going to do it super successful and you did your job and then you're just continually transitioning and transitioning and transitioning into whatever the next thing that God has for you. It's not a, it's, it shouldn't be this massive transmission, transition to be um, empty nesters or whatever. We, we want to create new language for every single thing. It, it's just your kids are doing life. It's what you raise them up to do, is to go be adults and do life. So when they move out, it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be anything different. I don't, that's what Kay said. Like, I don't love her more, or she loves me more now that the kids are gone. She still don't let me walk around naked. I, I don't know what the... You're welcome. <laughs> There is an excitement that that we experience because we know that we've 
equipped our kids to be successful adults. We've been the example that God created us to be to them. They both have a relationship with God. They have a personal relationship. And so now it's just this excitement because now they're living this journey of their life of relying on God for what their journey is, what their destiny is. And so right now it's just really exciting to watch my kids just live life and navigate it and lean on the Father. And, you know, they have us too, but, you know, he's with them every day. We get to see him, you know, a couple times a week maybe. Um, But it's just, there's an excitement, I think, in both of us to see where our kids are going because, the, because we know we've equipped them to be successful and to do well and live a life serving the kingdom. And, and it even, uh, there's even a benefit to watching them bang their heads on a wall, too. Um, because we, you know, we raise them up right. We raise them, it says in Proverbs, it says that train a child up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. So you can find out when your kids are old versus not old based upon whether they're actually going the way that you train them up to go. So right now, both my kids aren't quite old yet. But it even, it's even beneficial when you watch them bang their heads on a wall because they learn, they're going to learn the lesson. They're just going to learn it hard. We try to do everything that we could to help them not learn a lesson hard, just like the father does you. For all of you that are thinking, well, my kids always got to learn it. Really? Maybe you, <laughs> in your relationship with the father, you know, the father in heaven is like, I do not know why Steve always has to bang his head on the wall first. They bang their heads way less than we did. Yeah, our kids, that's something that Kay and I say all the time. Like, our kids, I mean, they're not perfect. They both, uh, they both are uh, being sanctified daily. Um, but uh, one thing that blesses Kay and I is that what Kay and I were doing when we were 20 and what our kids are doing when they were 20. Woo-wee! I would tell you, ask my mom, but I hid it from her. <laughs> she, she thought I was holy. So the, to, to point to the question is your destiny doesn't change based upon the number of kids that are or are not in your house. Your relationship with your wife should never, ever, ever change based upon who comes and goes in your life, even if it's your own kids. If, you know, we have safe fam- we're safe family's family. Ryan and Jess just had three kids at their house. If they love their kids more or less when they got safe family's kids there, then what they have together isn't authentic. It moves or it... It, it ebbs and flows based upon um, outside influences. That's not right. It, your relationship should never, ever be um, pushed or moved or uh, um, misdirected or redirected by any external force. Only the Father from an internal force. Only, only, only. Money comes and goes. Problems come and go. Uh, Broken legs come and go. But that covenant, you know, thank God he, he designed it to be a covenant. Because it, it, then you get to reflect on Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't love you more or less based upon how holy you are. Based upon how he feels about someone else. Or how he's dealing with someone else. Or how he's dealing with running the universe. It is all about you and his heart. His love for you. It should be that way in your covenant. 
It's all about Kay as it relates to marriage, and it's all about Christ as it relates to my identity. It's super simple stuff. Enjoy this time. It should be a fun time. But enjoy the next time, and then enjoy the next time. I've heard people say, well, when you get grandkids, that's when it really starts. Okay. When I have grandkids, I'll have grandkids. Right now, I don't. Jen. I just wanted to, as I was reading through the Bible, I've always believed in personal accountability, and so things like our justice system, I mean, there's a lot of human aspects that have gone into that. But as I'm reading, like, in Matthew chapter 5, and it talks about the how you should treat your enemies and yep. evil and things like yep. that. Um, how and, and just, like, with dealing with the world right now. And also the the new, I guess, revelation for me of realizing that as a Christian, you're always in right standing with God. Um, but Christians do things that hurt people here on earth. Yep. So my question is, how do you reconcile seeking justice here on this earth while still um, doing what the Bible says of you know, turning the other cheek? Because a lot of people try to say, like, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be seeking those earthly justices. Yep. Um, so I guess that's kind of, if that yep. makes sense. Uh, so... Uh, what's been uh, what's been a common theme in Christianity, which has broken Christianity and caused a broken world, which is let's just all get in the church and learn how to be good little Christians, and then keep our Christianity to ourselves when we go out in the world, because the world's just going to be mean to us and persecute us, and so we just stay as far away as we can. Hopefully, they leave us alone. We'll leave them alone. Um, it's a it's a super broken doctrine that comes from not understanding simple truths. All those, it says in First uh, Timothy chapter 2 or Second Timothy chapter 1, uh, it, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution comes against you because of godliness. If you're not being persecuted right now, if people are not persecuting you for Christian things, then you are not godly. And hopefully a bunch of people in here are like, wait a minute, what? And persecution isn't your neighbor's mad at you because your his dog you won't let his dog poop in your yard or you you, you don't do your grass right or you shovel your... I'm not talking about that. If you're being persecuted because you're not shoveling your sidewalk right, you need to be persecuted. You're just a jerk. You do the right thing. Shovel your snow. <laughs> Try to play the God card on your... I'm being persecuted because I was mean to the waitress and she, you know, didn't give me ice in my water. No, you're a jerk. And don't say... Don't even tell her you're a Christian. You you guys know I used to run restaurants. You know the hardest shift to fill in a restaurant? After church Sunday. You know why? Because all the good Christians that love God to come in and treat their waitresses like garbage. I had a preacher one time. I had a table of four preachers one time in my restaurant, and they were treating my... I walked over. I blasted them for five minutes. They called the hotline on me, but I got mine out. Like, you bunch of hypocritical jerks in here probably went to church and preached on love your neighbor and then came in here and treated my staff like they were garbage. Terrible. Don't even tell... Some people, I wish they wouldn't even tell folks they're Christians because you see their lifestyles. But being persecuted for Christ... 
is what the scripture says. Being persecuted for godliness. If you're being persecuted because you're a woman or something like that, that's wrong. And you need to fight back. If you're being persecuted because you're unvaxxed, that's wrong. You need to fight back. If you're being persecuted because um, you believe in, in godly, the godly version of marriage, that's wrong. And you need to fight back. But if you're being uh, persecuted because there's people in power that are going against the Christianity on the inside of you, think about why. If they can suppress the Christianity that's on the inside of you, then by default they can suppress Christ. That's why you're being persecuted. And that's why Jesus said, Rejoice! In Matthew chapter 5. He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad when they persecute you. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. Like, be happy. Hey, they're persecuting the Christian in us. Yay! They're seeing the Christian in us. That's a good step. And B, they don't want... That means the Christian in me is making them scared or irritated. Praise God! You're doing it right. If you're, if you're, if evil, wickedness can live around you completely free, unhindered around you, something's wrong with your Christianity. If people can come up and, and tell dirty jokes and, and cuss and swear and talk about their old battle axe of a, of a spouse and, and the dirty stuff that they watched on TV, and, and if, they can wa- if they can walk up to you and be completely at liberty to have all those conversations, then your Christianity needs a remake. The holiness on the inside of you should be completely pervasive to the wickedness on the inside of other people. And it will irritate them. I irritate people in the church. Jesus said that if you, if, uh, when people know the truth, the truth will make them free. But I've learned that right before the truth makes people free, it makes them really angry. <laughs> then it makes them free, eventually, if they stick into it. So th- we're supposed to be a light in the world. We're supposed to be salt on the earth. We're supposed to be going into every single part of the world and be bringing the kingdom. And the kingdom, part of the kingdom, is justice. And I don't want to get too far uh, too far down this trail because I'll I'll get super passionate and then I'll lose it and start spitting like a Brahma bull. But there are some wicked wicked things that are going on. Kids are being kidnapped and there are terrible things that are happening on our planet. And it's because the church isn't dealing with it. You have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. There are multiple times that I've been in situations and I've got the Holy Spirit tingle of spidey sense that something was not right in a store or something like that. And I have had the, the honor of God using me to rescue kids and um, do in restaurants. Uh, happened all the time. I One time a car uh, had um, minors in it. it wasn't the, and it was the Holy Spirit that told me. We're supposed to be the ones that are standing on this earth for truth, justice, and the kingdom way, making heroes. We're supposed to be invading systems that are not light. God is judge. God is judge. His nature, his character is judge. He wants justice. 
And I can tell you, uh, not to, like, it's like pick on Hannah Sunday, but if Hannah did something illegal, immoral, I would take her to the police station. I'd take, I'd say, lock her up. And I'd love her, and I'd come and see her at jail, and I'd minister to her, and I'd, I'd write her letters and put little hearty stickers on them, and I'd, you know, your daddy loves you, and, and, you know, the only reason I put you in jail is because you did dumb stuff. Don't do dumb stuff. You don't go to jail. I, I have no problem with getting natural justice for natural sin. But you also need to understand that there's a difference between natural justice in the natural justice system and justice in the heavens. In the heavens, it's just for you to be righteous forever because the blood of Jesus Christ is stronger than anything that you'll ever do. If I, God forbid, if I was to hit K, I should go to jail. And I should go to heaven. And I know that messes with people, but I'm sorry. I should go to jail, and I should go to heaven. Because what I did in the natural is not as real as what Jesus did at the cross. And God will take me to heaven. I'll, I'll be the worst guy that gets into heaven. But there's a lot of bad people that go to heaven. Now, am I, am I saying it's okay to go out and sin and do whatever because you're going to go to heaven? No. If you... If I loved her, would I ever hurt her? If you love God, would you do stuff that you know is on purpose and an abomination towards his character and his ways and his nature? No, of course not. Don't say you love God and then go and do things that he says don't do. And so you should get natural justice for natural uh, evil, and you should get the other side too. You should get natural justice if you're living righteous and you're not at fault. And the system, this is happening to a bunch of people in this church. We've got people that have been fired and and kicked out of businesses and having things removed from them because they wouldn't submit to an ungodly, unconstitutional system. They're going to get justice. I hope Ryan and Jess Sewell's school. Sues Orangeville School District for gajillions of dollars and gets it so that maybe all the school systems in the rest of the universe will remember that one lawsuit from that one couple in Orangeville that says, hey, don't violate people's civil rights. I hope they sue the pants off them. But that, that is irrelevant to the fact that if anybody on that school board is born again, they're going to heaven. If anybody... There's, a, there's two different things going on here. There's the natural system that we need to be invading with light, and then there's the heavenly system that's already founded on the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have to live concurrently in two kingdoms. So I need to, I need to know and have an identity of righteousness with my Father, but I should also let that so invade my life that my natural life is righteous. You're not going to go find me. I'm the one that preaches about the grace of God, about, about being free from sin and the nature of sin. I'm the one that preaches this. I'll guarantee you ain't going to ever find me in some sin. You're not going to walk into some triple X theater and find me. You're not going to find me in some bar getting lit. Never. You'll never. You're not going to hear a cuss word come out of my mouth. Ever. 
You won't do it because I'm living what my identity is, which is righteous. I'm going to be holy and righteous before my God because that's my identity. Not because I have to try to or struggle or grind or groan to do all that stuff. It's who I am. I am a groom who loves my bride. She, Kay doesn't have to try to love me. I'm easy to love. Amen. <laughs> what do you have for... Um. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to say about that is um, if you look at that, um, I know verse 37 starts with but. Um, but it says, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these comes, comes of evil. And then it it goes down where you talked about uh, that you resist not evil, but whoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek and turn turn to him the other also. If any man sue thee at thy law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And it just makes me think about how he starts out that your yea be yea and your nay be nay. So if you say, I am going to do this, I, yes, I am, that you have, you have set your, your line in the sand, so to speak, and your yes is yes. Or you've set your line in the sand, no, that I will never do that, I will never say that, that your no is no. Yep. That even if you get slapped across the face, it doesn't change your yes, it doesn't change your no. Even if somebody sues you, it doesn't change that my yes is yes and my no is no. That you are consistent, that you are steadfast, that your yes is yes. No matter what comes against you in the natural and financially, um, that you are determined, that you know you're doing the right thing. And no matter what comes against you, my yes is yes. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about understanding the balance between living and righteousness from what you've already been given by heaven and walking it out in the earth. Uh, It uses the terminology, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. But then you're supposed to take off the old man. And so that's that's something you have to consciously do. You have to consciously take off the old man with the old ways and the old nature and and remove that from yourself and put on, in a conscious way, the righteousness of God that comes from a gift of righteousness from Jesus Christ. Um, read Ephesians uh, 4, 5, and it helps a lot in 6. Um, so this is it, and uh, I'm not going to get too deep on this because uh, there's this is one of those subjects that uh, you can spend tons and tons of time on. It starts off with 1 John 2.27, and it says, What is anointing? Does it, does it give boldness? Is it a feeling? Uh, and then they say, Don't come against anointed one, which is an Old Testament verse that says, uh, Touch not the Lord's anointed and do his prophets no harm. Um, so first of all, anointing, the word anointing just means to rub in, or to, uh, it's, it's a version of baptism. In fact, John the Baptist, when he started doing baptism, he based it on the anointing principle of 
that's where he came from baptism. And um, in the Old Testament, whenever a person was called into a place like a priest or a king, they were anointed with oil, which is where they poured oil over their head. Psalm 133 says it's like the anointing oil that goes down over Aaron's head and it goes through his beard and then it saturates his entire coat. And so anointing called, talks about being called out, being separated uh, for God's purposes and usages. So in the New Testament, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Test- Spirit is the anointing oil. And he gets rubbed into every place of your life and saturates every part of your life. And so the anointing in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit. And so this is why when people start talking, you know, I feel anointed, or that guy's anointed for that, or uh, it, it doesn't make sense if they really truly understand just the basic simplicity of the Holy Spirit is the anointing of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me. To heal the sick, to cleanse the life, to do all the things that it the Holy Spirit is that anointing of God. This is why you don't need to have any man teach you things because the Holy Spirit teaches you all things on the inside, which is verse twenty, and then it goes down to verse twenty seven. But the anointing which you have received, past tense, you are anointed. You won't be anointed, you won't get a special anointing. You are anointed which you've received of him abides in you now. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Notice how the him and the anointing are interchangeable. The Holy Spirit is a him. The anointing is a him. It's what he does in your life. It's what you're separating. And there's times that the Holy Spirit is doing things in you that you make makes you very aware, and you get tingles and goosebumps and all that kind of stuff. And there's times that you don't. Amen. When when uh, Mark rudely died in the middle of our service, and uh, they drug him into the back room, and we raised him from the dead, I didn't feel a tingle. I didn't have a goosebump. I didn't. I didn't have a feeling. I just declared over Mark life that he should have had, and Mark came back to life. Thank God it didn't go by feelings, because I had to go pee. <laughs> I did. I just got done drumming. You know, I was sweating my little heart out. I wanted. I was just getting ready, putting on my mic to go pee, and they drug dead Mark back. Interrupted everything. Interrupted the service. Interrupted my break. <laughs> you, you, we, the Holy Spirit is a person. Whether I feel K or not, she's here. If, you, if we would live in such a way that we recognize that the Holy Spirit was always innocent with us and the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwell, now dwells in your mortal body and makes you alive, we, we would not get into this whole anointing, non-anointing, feeling, non-feeling, uh, grace, non-grace, uh, Shekinah glory, non-Shekinah glory, gold dust or not gold. That it's, it's carnal. It carnalizes the Holy Spirit and it should never be that way. Did you want to? Um, I just... Wanted to add real quick, I know. Um, I'll be quicker than you. Uh, <laughs> that um, one of the things is always to, if, if you, as far as anointing goes, to look at it in context. Because just in the New Testament alone, uh, there's three different words in the Greek, but it's all translated anoint or anointing in the New Testament. And so you, you, if you want to really understand it, you've got to look into 
the original uh, Greek of it because it, it does have different meanings depending on um, the context. Like in, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, the particular Greek word they translated anointing is only used in 1 John chapter 2. It's not used anywhere else. But then there's an, another uh, Greek word for anointing that is what Steve said about being set apart. You're called. You are set apart. You are anointed to do. Jesus was anointed. That was his calling. That was his purpose. But anointing also is just that natural smearing that he was talking about. It's just like when you baptize someone, it means to dunk. And so anoint means to smear. When Jesus spit in the dirt and made mud, he anointed his eyes. And he was, it was, he was just smearing mud, spit mud on this man's eyes. So it speaks to just a natural smearing, but obviously it's a natural thing representing a spiritual truth. And so you, you just, I just want to encourage you, you know, to look at where, where the words came from um, and to make sure you understand the definition and the context of what it is, because that will really help you, you know, um, understand um, the different pieces of what anoint and anointing is. Amen. Uh, I've had that, I've actually had people uh, come up when I've ministered in other places and they'd come up for prayer and I and uh, uh, I've had people say you know I, I want to be more anointed I want to and I've actually thought about that where I'm like <laughs> <laughs> want to be more anointed I'll do what Jesus did Jesus to me are you ready no, 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 no. I mean, a different kind of anointing. Like, what kind? I've actually asked him, like, what kind? Well, you know, like the spiritual kind. I'm like, oh, you mean the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay, can you get more of the Holy Spirit? No. Did, did you get, like, when you had the Holy Spirit come, did he just, like, drop off a fingernail and he say, I'll be back later, bring the rest? Like, no, you, if you get the Holy Spirit, you get the whole Holy Spirit. You have the same exact anointing that Jesus had. He just knew how to work it way better than we did. Amen. All right, so please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.